0: to by Mobile Arts Program. All right, I'm Wes. And I'm John. And welcome back to another episode of Bittersweet Stories. This is the podcast where we jump into the lives of various frontline workers um, in different social service jobs. That's right. We get to hear a little bit of the, uh, the ins and
1: outs, the highs and lows, the ups and downs. And without further ado... Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself, our guest today.
2: My name is Christine Yap, and I am currently a full-time professor in the Child and Youth Care program at George Brown College.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, And Christine, it's so great to see you again. Nice to see you too. Um, If you maybe kind of, just to get things started, talk a bit about your early years uh, in the field and and kind of what got you into that, whatever job it was, and kind of go over some of that stuff.
2: Well, I knew from a fairly early age that I would probably be working with children and youth. However, I didn't know in what type of capacity. I always thought mm. that I would teach, and lo and behold, here I here am. Here you are, yeah. Um, but hundreds of years later. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I remember applying for, or I remember doing a test in grade school where they wanted to see where you were interested in focusing your energy for a career. And mm. I probably did that in grade seven or grade eight. Right. And uh, it came up a nursery for whatever reason. Oh. And I thought, I don't like babies. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. but I still knew that I would be working with children at some given point. So I literally thought that I would probably do maybe early childhood, maybe teaching. Um, and when I started to apply, moving into high school, I actually met a child in youth care, uh, child and youth worker at the time, mm-hmm. um, during my time in high school. Um, I struggled through high school. And so I think that kind of presented the individual to me to be able to understand what their job was. Right. And it was really interesting for me. Right. I automatically was drawn to them.
0: Yeah, so like, cool. what what about them was enticing?
2: Um, they weren't a personnel from school, right. right? even though I met them in the school setting. So I felt a lot more trustworthy with them than I did with a, a teacher sure. or the social worker in the school right. mm-hmm. um, or the principal. Um, and they had just simply—I remember when my father had passed. Um, I was 16 years old. They had offered this individual to come and sit and meet with me, mm-hmm. and it was just a really in, easygoing conversation. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what drew me to it. Right, oh, very the interesting. The relationship, yeah.
1: Because I would say actually. So far um, from like hearing people talk about um, getting into the field, et cetera, is like a lot of people are sort of like, I didn't really know necessarily that I wanted to do this. And, you know, X, Y, Z happened and then it sort of fell into my lap and here I am however many years later. Whereas for yourself, it was, you had a pretty good intuition that, as you said, not specifically child and youth care, but you're like, it's sort of in the, in that ballpark of just sort of
2: there was something about children and youth that I knew that I wanted to work with. I right. just didn't know how or in what capacity. Right. Yeah. And that's
1: so interesting that then you, you met firsthand, you could see firsthand what that work actually looked like. Mm-hmm. Cause I think otherwise it's not really necessarily. Um, when you sort of say child and youth worker, child and youth care practitioner um, it's not instantly apparent what exactly that work entails. Mm-hmm.
0: So I get- absolutely agree yeah. with that. Yeah. So yeah. maybe let's take a quick step back even and, and, what is a child and youth worker? Uh. <laughs> what, what, what do they do? You know, for, I could for, ask the
2: two of you the exact same well, question. Oh, is this a test? This is an
0: open-ended <laughs> yeah. question, isn't uh, it? Pass, pass. <laughs> no, but it's it's you know, f- for a like people listening to the the podcast who maybe aren't familiar with what that job is, but also b people getting in and even working in the field. Like a, a child and youth worker is kind of a multifaceted individual, yeah. Right. So, like, yeah. what what are some of the jobs that exist that they might fill?
2: Um, Okay, so what are some of the jobs? You could be working in the education system, Mm -hmm. um, Toronto District School Board, any district school board across Canada. uh, Yeah, across Canada. You could be working in group homes. You could be working doing outreach in the communities. Um, You could be doing an intake position. Right. Right. Um, Yeah, you could be, I don't know, like you could Mm -hmm. be doing group work Mm -hmm. with kids um, that have to do with issues of mental health. Addictions have to do with divorce it could be anything that creates risk for the child or the youth that we would intervene in a way that's supportive and helpful to those kids yeah
0: so so a child and youth worker will will go into one of these spaces and essentially work with a population that is more at risk than than the general population of whatever that space may be
2: absolutely i always talk to our students coming into programming if they believe that this is more ECE related or mm-hmm. do they understand that this is very different from early childhood education yeah. or teaching, period? Yeah.
1: it's a, That's a very common misconception, I would say, so absolutely. far from being in the industry is someone's like, oh, yeah, so like ECE. And you're like, well, not
0: quite mm. Funny. You should say because <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that is definitely different. Um, interesting. And then so this is kind of a good segue then, like, why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of your previous work history? um, I know, I think previously you've done some outreach work. Um, Absolutely. Obviously, there's a, a bunch of different things that you've done. So, yeah, there's a little insight there.
2: Sure. Um, so when I started at George Brown College way back in the day, my second year placement, I had a first year placement in a Toronto District School Board at Papin. Gerard area, fantastic um, little school. Not my forte though. Wasn't interested in being in a classroom. I right. like the really difficult kids, right. the ones that give you an ad- give you attitude, like to swear at you, mm-hmm. causing problems. Um, and my second year placement was a youth justice open custody facility. Wow. One of my favorite places to have worked. I ended up being hired right after my second year placement, um, where we had a house where. Eight boys resided from being in open custody or open detention. Mm-hmm. And so this is my introduction to youth justice programming. Right, And for whatever reason, I wasn't interested when I first started, but that is what I stuck with for most of my time in, in my career as a CYW or right. a CYC
0: practitioner. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and what about that work um, kind of kept you coming back day, day after day?
2: These are young people who have. Um, they're completely at risk on so many different levels, mm-hmm. whether it has to do with they've been involved in the criminal justice system and they've they've lived a life of oppression already based on that, right. or that they have other issues, whether it's mental health addictions, um, suicidal ideation, parental issues, developmental issues. And so... In that placement, I really learned about the multitude of layers of issues of that can happen for one individual and that myself as the CYC working in that facility is not enough, hmm. that that kids often need a team of people to work with them, right. Right. to support them in the work that they need to do to, to transition out of the group home, back into the community and recidivate. L- lower rates of recidivism to happen for them yeah. as they grow up. Right. Yeah. And
1: it, it makes sense that, well, I mean, it takes a village to raise a child, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. also, as you alluded to, the sort of multifaceted nature of the circumstances that bring those youth um, into those situations. Like, obviously, then it makes sense that you would sort of need uh, also like a diverse group of people to sort of help, um, you know, like, mediate and sort of like help get through that entire process as well right like Absolutely. more than and as much as a, ch- a child and youth care practitioner can do a lot of things and as we alluded to that it's there's a lot of work that happens with that title but even still you kinda need just like a group of professionals to really help bring someone when they are encountering all of those different um levels like you know um, that result in their situation and their being there and everything
2: And, and- we're all different, right? So mm-hmm. every child has their own issues of risk and resilience. And so we as practitioners, there's three pac- practitioners sitting in this room right now having mm-hmm. a conversation. We all have very different abilities and capabilities to support that kid. Right. So what I can do, you might not be able to pick up on John, where where Wes might be able to pick up on it. Right. And working together, that's what's developing the team that supports the client. Right,
1: right. yeah, and so, um, how that makes me wonder as well like how easy or difficult has it been uh navigating that process with co-workers like i'm sure that's even that's a tough part of the job it's not even necessarily the individual that's that you're working with the youth in front of you but also sort of navigating the different personalities as well
2: absolutely i i i tend to teach students often that you will always come across somebody that you do not like to work with yeah. whether that's a client whether that's a boss whether that's a coworker whether it's somebody coming in to work with the client with you and you're working at two completely different agencies mm-hmm. you're going to have a clash in some way shape or form and i think learning how to deal with conflict before getting into this field or as we're getting into this field is a huge piece of what we do yeah. We anticipate our kids to deal with conflict. We need to model that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. That is interesting um, because, you, you know, coming in, coming into this line of work myself, I would say one of the biggest learning exercises I ever had was I worked at a bar for, for years and years. And uh, it, it's a 24-hour spot. And, and um, needless to say, in the middle of the night, a certain type of person would kind of stumble <laughs> in. And I learned more about conflict management working with intoxicated people that I have anywhere else in my entire life. I absolutely
2: believe that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: And I've even thought about that, like um, certainly as
1: I've gotten older and look back kind of retrospectively that, you know, to me it's like elementary school, you learn like two plus two is four, letters of the alphabet, you know, colors, which for me being colorblind is a little difficult. But then, you know, to me it's like, that's the basic stuff. When you get to high school, I always kind of thought about it like, really what you're learning is how to work with other people because here you are all of these different walks of life teachers included um, that are all under this one roof with a sort of at least approximately a set goal that everyone's kind of working towards but you have all of these different personalities how do you navigate through that especially with like group projects and that's a big theme with like the child and youth care curriculum absolutely basically almost everything is like group work because it reiterates the fact that hey in the real world You are going to be dealing with countless individuals, you know. Whether again, they're clients, uh, people that you work with, and you brought up as well um, the inevitable interactions with other agencies, and and having to sort of have like one agency sort of working with another one, and again, just navigating through the whole process. I mean, it's like people are very interesting. So many different levels, and you know, that's part working with people is part of that, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I often think that. Um we should have a course on relationship Mm -hmm. right I mean this is one of our pillars in the Mm -hmm. program of course it's relational Mm -hmm. practice but we don't actually label it as learning how to be in relationships because that's really what we are teaching many 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 of our kids who are at risk
1: yeah 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 very interesting Uh, I was gonna say so you know we call this podcast bittersweet stories the highs and Mm -hmm. lows of Mm -hmm. social work Mm -hmm. so You know, as you reflect back and think about your previous work history or even something um, more current, um, what are some of the sort of highs that you've encountered? Some of the more positive notes, positive interactions or or experiences that you may have encountered like along the
2: way? I think in this field, we spend so much time taking care of other people that we often forget to take care of ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other piece of that is that we don't get to see the progress right away. So when we're dealing with a kid who is at risk, they leave us for a period of time and we probably hear back from them. And whether we hear back from them because they're involved in children's aid or they've been in the criminal justice system or they've just grown up and they've gotten to be a part of society in a positive way, we don't hear back from them for a long time. Um, So not seeing our progress can really impact. That's
0: weird, right?
2: It's really unfortunate and mm-hmm. I think it can take a toll on our soul.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: I think we really wonder about some of the kids that we work with and yeah. hope and pray that they're doing okay but we never know. Yeah. So one of my biggest um, and most favorite stories is I worked with, I was working in a group home for youth justice clients and this young person graduated from the program, did his time um, and I didn't see him for about 12 years and I don't know if I shared the story in our classroom at any point in time, so. but um, I happened to be listening to the radio station on my way home from work one day. And literally, my ex-client was on the radio. Mm. Um, and the question that was asked on the radio was, who is the most influential woman in your life? Mm. And the client, um, he said his name. And he said, well, the first person I would absolutely say is my mother. He said, but the second person I would absolutely say is one of my old CY, CYWs, Christine Yap. Wow, wow. And for me, not just me hearing it, but my sister literally heard it and called me and was like, "Did you just hear that? Did you just hear that?" And I was, I was elated. And of course, of course, (laughs) I'm turning like a bright shade of red, (laughs) and it's like really uncomfortable. But at the same time, it validates the the work that you've been doing with a client that Mm -hmm. you've seen over and over again for a year, for two years, who has come out of the The depths of hell moving into their life and doing really, really well for themselves. Wow. So that was a really great experience.
1: And also, it sounds like quite a serendipitous
0: one where it was just. It was very weird. It it had to be meant to be, right? Yeah. For
2: my sister to hear it and call me at the same time, which was really cool. Wow. Yeah.
1: And then obviously, just the fact that that happened as well. That's just amazing.
2: Yeah. Pretty wow.
1: Nice. So what was what was it was a radio show you said? It was a radio show. And so what was the nature of the radio show? What was it that sort of brought I, that individual there?
2: I, literally the conversation it was a, it was a talk show on influential females. Oh. Okay. And it was on at the time I think it was Flow 93. Right. Yeah. And cool. uh, so that person had called in and that, was, yeah, that was the that was a message. Wow. It was fantastic.
1: That is speaking of highs and lows that's yeah. a pretty that's up there that's a pretty
0: for a big high. high for yeah. me
2: that is a very <laughs> that's big high that's amazing wow
0: yeah. you you brought up something that was kind of interesting there where you mentioned your sister was able to hear this right um, and oftentimes like in this line of work family members and in, in our immediate relationships you know often don't really get a sense of a what we do but b just kind of the realities of of the job so like how have you kind of in your life managed your personal relationships with, with what you do for a living, (laughs) Uh. right? (laughs) Um, Put you on the spot. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's okay. Really, really easy
1: softball questions at you here, you know?
2: (laughs) You're just getting me back for me teaching you. (laughs) Um, I would have to say that if you have a partner mm. that is in the same field as you, watch out. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a level of you really need to disconnect sometimes from the work that we do. Yeah, right. The other, the opposite to that is that when you have a partner that does not work in the field with you, they have no clue what's going on.
1: Right,
0: right.
2: I'll tell you this, another l- quick thing about my sister. Hopefully, she never hears this. <laughs> 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 um, she always calls me a social worker, right. which irritates me right? because I, no offense to social workers in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. but I have studied child and youth care from post-secondary all the way through. Right. So there's no reason for you not to know what I do. Right. So I have to reiterate over and over again what I do and why that's different from being a social worker. Right. Um, so the message gets lost often yeah. because people automatically go to either ECE or social work, not knowing what the true answer of, what is a CYC? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So,
1: And it's funny how it's like, it is often one or the other. It's often, oh, you're a social worker. No. Okay. So it's ECE then? And no, no, it's quite literally that space in, in between, between those yeah. two. And yeah. obviously like, you know, everyone in their life has to encounter something. Everyone's got their... Everyone's got their shit, as Mm -hmm. I always like to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially that like anyone who's an adolescent, like adolescence is such a period of change by definition. And if you're going through that, navigating through that, but then also having these like um, whatever external things that may have happened in your life or having to deal with like a criminal justice system, um, you know, trauma, like mental issues, family issues, whatever else it might be, you know. It only makes sense that there would be a field of work that would focus specifically on mm-hmm. that demographic, and yet somehow, uh, as you've alluded to, you know, it, it kind of just goes over the head of your of your average kind of person who may not know exactly what it is. So
2: this is this is the problem with with trying to get our accreditation into place, right? right. Social workers are accredited, mm-hmm. ECEs are accredited. Mm-hmm. We now need to get our accreditation into place so that we can legitimately be
0: yeah. a field. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Just to have a well-defined notch in between the ECE and, and social And people can work. start knowing who we are. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And why do you think that's important?
2: Uh, we are legitimately doing a job that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. We take the riskiest of children and youth and do the work to support them back to a health, healthy, positive lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, social work can say that they do that, and they do in certain aspects. However, they focus on the entire family. We focus specifically on that child, that youth, and take their family into consideration after we've dealt with the child or the Mm -hmm. youth.
1: Right, Mm -hmm. right.
2: And that's what we need. We forget that children have voices and they need to maintain those voices. Our duty is to make sure they have those voices. Right,
1: to be an Mm -hmm. advocate for that voice. Absolutely. And sort of provide the platform to uh, to allow that voice to come out. Help them
2: navigate everything that we have to navigate ourselves as adults.
1: Right. Yeah. well, I must unfortunately ask this as well. When you think back, like, um, are there any kind of like tough circumstances you can you that sort of are highlighted in your brain when you think back to your previous working history? Some of the lows that you may have encountered through the work. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um. Like I said, it's a very high stress job, mm-hmm. right? Especially mm-hmm. when you're constantly taking on other children's issues. Yeah. And they can't manage themselves, so you go home dealing with a lot of stuff. Right. Um. I've worked in youth justice for 20-something years, 25-plus, easily. Um, My favorite position was doing outreach in a local agency in Toronto, um, working with youth justice clients who were reintegrating back into the community. Many, many of these kids were involved in gang um, relationships. They've been involved in... Um, sex work, they've been involved in children's aid, they've been involved in addictions issues, part of KMH, all kinds of places. Um, and of course when I look at youth justice again the varying layers is incredible
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and they get as very very little support. One of the things that I experienced over the last I would say 20 years working doing outreach was a number of youth dying due to gun right, violence. Right. So. My partner and I at the uh, place that I worked probably spent a good two years attending funeral after funeral, Mm. watching 15, 16, 17 year old, 18 year olds die. Mm -hmm. And 16, 17, 18 year olds retaliating against other kids so that has been really really difficult to deal with
1: That's tough, yeah.
2: and at one point you literally have to step back and say I need to take a break mm-hmm. yeah I need some self-care because I'm watching these young people die in front of my eyes yeah. and I literally just saw them yesterday or I literally just saw them last week wow. yeah
1: yeah that's uncanny mm-hmm. and just so hard yeah and as Scary. you say like just to to be for that to be the environment that you're immersed in Um, yeah over time I think that exponentially that toll probably just like increases and and makes it even harder for you as an individual as an
2: individual absolutely and trying to teach now in the position that I'm in as a professor trying to teach what's gonna happen for students when they go out there Mm -hmm. and talking about the importance of Mm self-care as well as talking about the importance of keeping yourself safe Mm -hmm. while you're out in the community working with Mm -hmm. the clientele you were working with right
1: and so You know, um, in the context of self-care, have you found that a helpful remedy for yourself has been just allowing yourself time to take a step back, like just sort of, is is that an aspect of it? Absolutely.
2: Uh, We absolutely have to develop and implement self-care skills. Whether we like it or not, it needs to be part of our scheduling system. I know this sounds strange, but I literally will schedule the gym in my daytimer. Yeah. I literally will schedule time to do some art so that I can take care of myself. These are my ways of, right. of dealing with self-care. So if it means I have to get a babysitter for three hours so I can go to the art studio, so I can paint for three hours and just take that time to, to decompress, yeah. then that's what it means. But... It needs to be something that we schedule for ourselves yeah. because it legitimately is something we forget about all the time.
0: And, and that means you hold yourself accountable for, the, for that Absolutely. time, right? Yeah. And, which can be hard, you know.
2: It's really hard to do yeah. because we can always say, you know what, I got other things to do right now. Yeah. But we're just as important than whatever it is that we had to do.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, it's, and if you don't do that, you're so less effective as well. Like the burnout, the notion of burnout, right? Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't knowingly schedule in times to even just a time where you're like, I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. This is a window of time where if I want to play solitaire for two hours, I can do that because right. I've allotted myself that time. Then you just have that fresh set of eyes, that fresh sort of feeling when you do reenter into that line of work or that industry or whatever. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's so important uh, and, and such a necessary, obviously, very much an underlying theme with anyone who works in this industry is Absolutely. how important um, it is to sort of match the intensity of your work with sort of intense self-care. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that, that's like mm-hmm. a metric. They're, they're very much related.
2: And again, we talk about relational practice. If I am not taking care of myself and I come in dealing with a number of stresses, I'm taking that out on the of client, course, and I I'm, am—it's impacting in the relationship that we are developing. Of course. Mm-hmm. So we have to do that, and we have to model that for the kids.
1: That's right. And you, and you mentioned that—that's sort of like inevitably, like you know, your your behavior—you're modeling that behavior as, um, you know, putting those lessons into action, mm-hmm. right? Like. Um, and so if, yeah, if you're doing that sort of the wrong way, then what mm-hmm. message does that send to the youth mm-hmm. that you're working with, right? right? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, how, how much should I really listen to Christine if every time she comes in here she's already like frazzled or upset
0: or whatever else, you know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, so very important for sure. Well, Christine, unfortunately, we are out of time, um, but it was so nice to catch up with you and, and have a good conversation. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon. Okay. Yeah. And thank, I you so it. thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode of Bittersweet Stories. That's right. Mobile Arts Programming, or MAP for short, brings the recording experience to you. If your agency or organization is interested in exploring the positive outcomes of writing and recording music, please visit our website at mobileartsprogramming.com.